You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to What You Missed This Week. I'm Joe Weisenthal. This podcast has some of our favorite interviews from the Daily Market Close show that I co-anchor along with Romaine Bostic and Caroline Hyde. What'd you miss? It's the perfect way to kick off your weekend. This week was one like no other in the markets. GameStop took over the markets, the internet, and the zeitgeist. Day traders teaming up online to bid up a number of heavily shorted stocks by hedge funds. It started with GameStop before spreading to the movie theater chain AMC, BlackBerry, and many others as the world all seemed to be Googling their questions about short squeezes and gamma squeezes and call options. And then a number of the zero-commission retail brokerages like Robinhood, Interactive Brokers, and Webull stepped in to curb any more buying and trading, only allowing users to exit their positions. The decision prompted outcry from both the internet and both sides of the political spectrum, with many accusing the game of being rigged in favor of hedge funds whose shorts were getting squeezed. So we started by examining one of the technical aspects of all this. Everyone has been Googling, what is a gamma squeeze? So we spoke with someone who can explain these phenomenons better than anyone else, Ben Eifert, Principal and Chief Investment Officer at QVR Advisors. We started by asking Ben to explain the gamma squeeze in the most simplest terms possible, as if we were five years old. Sure, absolutely, Joe. Great to, great to see you again. Yeah, I mean, the as you've pointed out, um, this the Reddit Wall Street Bets community in particular and retail investors more generally um, this year have really taken to buying options and especially to buy, buying short-term out-of-the-money call options to express their views on you know the stocks that they like going up. And what that does, you know, when there's very heavy buying, particularly of, of short-term out-of-the-money call options, right? Um, call options are something that a dealer uh, sells to a client to manufacture uh, to manufacture that exposure that the client wants. When the client buys those call options, the dealer buys some stock to hedge the directionality of the call option exposure that they've sold. And then the key thing is, if those are out of the money options, they might only have a small amount of sensitivity to the stock price initially because they might be very far out of the money. Right. But as the stock goes up and up, the sensitivity of those options to the stock price grows and grows and grows as those options near, you know, the strike price uh, uh, of the call yeah. options, and that causes the dealer to buy more and mm. more and more stock. Yeah. Uh, and so you get these positive feedback effects that where. Was- you know, think of them as acting as acceler. Those call strikes act as accelerants to the to the upside price action of the stock. 
And we've seen these type of Greek squeezes before in the past. There are a lot of people trying to draw parallels, Ben, to what we saw in the 90s. You had a whole sort of cohort of retail traders come in. They were using message boards back then, Raging Bull and a lot of other ones that are now defunct uh, to sort of coordinate or even collude. But it seems like there's more access or at least easier access uh, to options and derivatives for the retail trader that didn't necessarily exist back then. I think that's right. It's a it's a broader phenomenon. So as you say, it very much was a phenomenon at the time. I mean, I remember dentists and doctors and you know lawyers who would talk about their option positions in Yahoo and you know everything at the time. But I think it was a it was a smaller penetration. Uh, now you see the number of of you know option enabled accounts across all the retail brokerages in the U.S. has just absolutely skyrocketed, and you see very widespread use. You know you see things you know platforms like Robinhood that make it very very easy to get an options account. You know which is a relatively risky thing. So you know I think that the the breadth of this activity is much larger, and the coordination of this activity is is relatively large as well. I mean you see effectively, you know, instead of it being a hedge fund PM who likes a stock, you know, pitching it and trying to convince his friends that it's a good stock and getting them to buy it, you see someone doing the same thing, but on their YouTube channel, right? And having a whole thesis for why, you know, why GameStop is a good trade. Uh, and, you know, this is the Roaring Kitty, right? Who's associated with really starting the yeah. GameStop thing on, on Wall Street mm. Bets. And, you know, he'd been pitching the stock. He has a slide deck. He has a view. You know, you can argue with his view or not, but it's certainly a, an articulated view on the stock and about the fundamentals of the stock and what new management is doing. Yeah. And what his, he's doing, his audience is retail, right? And he's trying to convince retail that he's right and attract, you know, more people to his position. Meanwhile, some big titans of Wall Street getting caught on the wrong side of this. I mean, we've got Melvin Capital, which is, uh, of course, Gabe Plotkin's Melvin Capital, which has just had to take a load more money from the likes of Ken Griffin and Steve Cohen because he's out the money having shorted GameStop to a large extent. We've seen Citron have to back off these sorts of bets. How much are we now going to see these professional investors with an awful lot of money behind them having to read Reddit? an awful lot more. Mm. How seriously are they taking the retail investor? Because it seems as though they should. Uh, I think they are going to start to be taking that investor more and more seriously. I think there's been a lot of dismissiveness, you know, over the last six months, but I think you're going to see that fall by the wayside. You know, the, the kind of squeeze you didn't ask about um, is the short squeeze, right? And actually a short squeeze and a gamma squeeze are, are very related, right? In the sense that you know, a retail investor buying a call option, he has a long convexity or a long gamma position, right? He's got re limited loss. The most he can lose is his premium. But if the stock's running to the upside, he could make more and more and more money. Shorts are the opposite, right? You put up, you have a $100 million short position as a hedge fund. That stock doubles against you. Now you're short $200 million, right? Your risk grows in an unbounded way as the stock goes up and you are forced to cover. You get margin calls, right? It's uh, uh, not that different from being short you know, short call options or short puts. In that sense, it's short gamma. And so you get kind of a, a gamma squeeze amplified by large, well-known short positioning in the marketplace from hedge funds. Ben. And by the way, a Reddit Wall Street Bets knows that. Ben, we all know there's not really anything as a perpetual motion money machine. Eventually, if the fundamentals on a long enough timeline don't match the price of a stock, at some point, no one knows when it'll converge. From your perspective, are there indicators that you can look at to see when the buying is exhausted or when dealers have caught up or other things that you look for to see how far these moves uh, can run? 
Well, I think part of what you've seen is this online trading community, um, you know, rotating across themes, right? There are a variety of themes that it's been interested in over the last six to eight months. It, back in May and June, it was cruise ships and you right. know, distressed uh, reopening basket names. And then it moved to mega cap tech. And then it shifted from mega cap tech down to the more like uh, unprofitable, very speculative new tech and SaaS, and then uh, you know now it's back. Now it's into GameStop, which is a little bit back to kind of the distress theme, but it's you know falls as opposed to right. So I think what you see is is this real rotation of interest. You know, people get bored with a particular theme, or maybe it's played out and they move on. And then if you look back at those stocks, you know, three months later or six months later, a lot of the time they've just deflated past uh, past anyway the peaks where they were run up to, right? Um, you know, from an option buying perspective, no, that's that's right. I mean, I think eventually, you know, what you see is people move on to new things. You you see volumes fall dramatically, mm. um, but uh, in any one particular, you know, it, for, and for the market as a whole, uh, the key thing, you know, this kind of activity can be sustained for a long period of yeah. time unless the community starts right. to lose a lot of money on a sustained basis, yeah. right? Which uh, I don't think has obviously you see large losses in some pockets, but I don't think that's happened yet. You need a sideways choppy market for six months for that really to happen for out of the money option buying to just light so much cash on fire. And we also got some perspectives on this week's market action and what it means for short sellers themselves. So we spoke with Gabriel Grego, managing partner at Quintessential Capital Management, about his own experience as an activist short seller and whether this dynamic of retail investors squeezing shorts will change his investment approach. We started by asking him about the future of the industry and whether advertising a short position is now a career risk. Absolutely, yes. It turns out that this is a risk. Um, and I think the future of short selling is is bright, as the past has been bright, but it doesn't mean that it's always a game that can work all the time. And I would say you should differentiate between active short selling and passive short selling. We've never been a fan of passive short selling, just because it's very hard to ride the vicissitudes of the market when the market uh, you know, in the short term can do pretty much anything. Um, on the other hand, I think what's been happening in the last few days uh, can be very sobering for a lot of funds and definitely should uh, spur all the funds that keep playing this game to be even more careful to such thing as risk management, uh, considering the shareholder base of a company they're planning to mount a campaign on. And I would also say maybe it's a good opportunity for uh, a lot of short selling oriented funds to um, uh, emphasize what I call the ethical short selling which basically means going after criminal companies mm. or companies which are really misbehaving. Because I think, I suspect, or I want to believe that whatever has been happening to these uh, stocks that everybody's talking about, for example, like GameStop or AMC or many others, is less likely, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's less likely to happen to a company that's, say, committing outright fraud, for example. Just because I would say that uh, criminal behavior creates a moral outrage, also from retail investors, which are probably less likely to play this game on on such a situation. So I would say short selling is alive and kicking, but you have to be very careful. It's not a game. Uh, do not be leveraged. Uh, study very well what you're doing and don't be stubborn. If you see that the market is turning against you, either you're wrong or even if you're right, maybe the timing is wrong. You have to rethink it. Gabriel, I like the way that you've illustrated that you're an, an activist fund when it comes to shorting. I'm interested in your perspective on sort of transparency here. There's a lot of calls, probably the SEC is monitoring. We know that Janet Yellen is man monitoring. Is there an element that there should be more transparency about 
the amount of shorting, the amount of leverage that's built in from the institutional side. I'm not just talking about regulation or protection of, of the retail investor. That's sort of another conversation. But is there more transparency needed in the short institutional side? Because should you be able to short 140% of a free float of a business? Yeah, um, this, it's a very interesting question. In my opinion, and obviously I'm biased, but I, I also think that I'm quite right on this uh, on this issue. I think you should leave the same kind of leeway in the market in trading that you leave to long type of investors to short type of investors. There shouldn't be any asymmetry. You want a transparent market. You want uh, asset prices to uh, reflect intrinsic value eventually. And the only way you can do that is if there is no asymmetry between long and short investing. That said, you know, of course, it's very important that uh, that things are done properly by the book, respecting the law. That means being very careful about putting out a thesis, making sure that you check your facts and you separate facts from opinion. And you do things in, in a rational uh, way like any good professional would do. And many funds do that as many some others do not. And so I, I think you should differentiate between um, unethical smash and grab type of behavior that sometimes yeah. you see in the market and, and what I think is actually more benign, uh, putting out a thesis in, in which you really believe in and sticking to it until you're either proven right or wrong. Sometimes you're wrong, but uh, maybe you're in good faith. Now, if you talk about regulators, I actually, I'm not totally negative about what's happening with these uh, retail stocks that everybody's looking at right now. I think it's an interesting uh, development. I think it's a, a new power that's coming out in the market. The retail investors, which are well-coordinated by social media, they should be reckoned with, and the market are free. So everybody has should have a chance of, uh, of acting how they see fit. That said, it, it would make sense that regulators take a look at it and make sure that this is done according to the law. In, in, to my knowledge, uh, you start getting into problem uh, uh, areas once you start trading, not because you, you believe in a thesis, yeah. but just because the purpose itself of the right. trading is to move the stock price in a direction that you try to do. Right. So I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. It seems to be that that's a little bit of what's happening. So maybe regulators should look at it. But, but I, provided that it's not against the law, I don't think... Uh, uh, well, what's well, happening uh, should be well, curbed to, well, to your last point, Gabriel, that's not against the law. I mean, that's what basically a lot of people on Wall Street have been doing since the beginning of time. I, I guess if a group of traders on a, pla on a social media platform say, tomorrow we're all going to do this, do you look at that and say, okay, that's collusion, or is this just a bunch of people who have their own thesis, no matter how harebrained of a thesis it may be, but they come up with a thesis that the stock valuation should be something different than where it is on that day, as a short seller, you basically take the opposite side of that trade, or at least that's what you try to do at some point. Why is it any different for someone who's taking the long side of that trade? Well, I, I think you're, you're, you're making a, a good differentiation. So one thing is to say, hey, I have a thesis. I believe in it. Here is the evidence. Here is, here is the logic. Here is my thinking. And here is why I'm right. And this is my target price. I may be right or wrong, but as long as I'm in good faith, that's okay. It would be very different if I were to start calling all of my colleagues and say, listen, on, on this date, on Thursday at 2 p.m., we're all going to simultaneously start shorting this stock until it hits this target price, and then we all cover. Mm -hmm. You know, and the SEC would very rightly yeah. crack down on all of us. So it seems to me, and again, I only have sympathy for, for these Reddit people. I think it's, it, it's very democratic in a way what's happening, but it seems to me like that's a little bit of what's happening. So if, if, if they're doing that because they believe that GameStop is really worth $22 billion, it's one thing. On the other hand, if they're doing this just to quote-unquote punish uh, short-selling hedge funds, by the way, uh, just to disclose, we're not short any of the stock. We're not short anything right now. 
um, well, in that case, then all they're doing is trying to move the stock price. And that seems to be like it would need a little bit of scrutiny. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. And then we touched on the very online nature of this Reddit-fueled retail frenzy with Howard Lindzen, who is the co-founder of StockTwits, a social media platform designed for sharing ideas between investors, traders, and entrepreneurs, which bills itself as the largest social network for finance. Howard also makes early-stage investments through his seed fund, Social Leverage. So we started by asking Howard if this is a populist issue, and does the public have a right to buy and trade shares of GameStop? You know, Joe, we've known each other a long time. It's, it feels a little over my pay grade. You know, <laughs> we, the president is not all out on the most of the internet right now, so it's a slippery slope. Um, I'm glad I don't have to make that big decision, which is why I get to wear a sweatshirt. Um, but I've seen this building, and I've been writing about it for years. The You have this massive unbundling of... For decade, people were told to set and forget, put their money in an index. And with that came problems too. You know, that led to really bad behavior at corporate level in the banks, Wells Fargo. If you can behave badly and next day or next month, the 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 world puts their money into their 401k and that blindly gets allocated to indexes, um, that's pretty bad behavior on the corporate side. On this side, it's hard for me to say if people should be allowed to do something really dumb. You know, the stock is trading. Uh, I feel like I don't know all the mechanics behind it, but it is not. it was not seeming like a great decision leading up to letting people own these things and then pulling the rug. Right. It's sort of fascinating people's weighing in on if you flip reverse it. I think everyone, what well, everyone's sort of frustrated by, and, and I'm keen on your talk to hear your thoughts as, you know, StockTwits yeah. being the largest social network for investors and, and for traders. Yeah. They're all talking about this on your platform. If the shoe was on the other foot and if it had been the hedge funds and the institutional investors that were reaping in all the money and it was the retail investors that were losing it, uh, would the same thing be happening, do you think? Because everyone's got this cynical idea that people are stopping this sort of transaction because Wall Street's losing. I don't know. It's a really good question. I think what the most important thing I saw today was the Internet's very loud if, you, <laughs> if you're listening to the wrong channel, I guess. And the market behaved very well considering how angry the mobs were. Like, so it just feels and and if you look at the number one app in the app store, it's Robinhood. Mm. So um, I can't tell who won or lost. I definitely lost. People yelled at me all day. So, <laughs> maybe, you know, so 
and, and, and people were yelling on the internet all day. But we saw this building, you know, the, the message volume on uh, stock tweets on the AMC and GameStop streams. So, for example, AMC yesterday did 130,000 messages. That's people putting dollar sign GME and typing something. That's not a bot. Okay. That is just a fact. Tesla last year in its major run in December was doing 30,000 messages a day. And that's almost a trillion dollar company. So people have gone, lost their mind over this. It's, it's in the consciousness. And because it's so easy to buy a share or half a share or trade a one lot around the world now of option, people played. My daughter was calling me who has a Robinhood account. My friends are following you, Howard. What should they do? And my advice to them was do not get involved in these silly right. parts of the market. That's all. We need to educate people. They're going to do what they're going to do. But I, the whoever would listen to me the last few days, yeah. all I could say is I'm not going to do that. And if I am going to do it, it's going to be with 10 shares so I can learn or 3,000 shares so I can learn, depending on your your wealth level, not with options and derivatives of something that right. has no value. But Howard, I mean, there are, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people who just sort of jumped on the train at the end with no real research at all. There's an argument to be made that what we saw sort of come up out of these Discord servers, out of these Reddit uh, boards, was some degree of research, some degree of assessment of risk, and some degree of assessment of value. Now, whether we agree with that or not, I mean, that's neither here nor there. That was really the catalyst for a lot of this move higher. Why should that it's in and of itself get sort of, I guess, clamped down just simply because a bunch of people came in at the end and decided just to try to ride the wave? Yeah, I'm not sorry. I, I mean, I woke up this morning and got yelled at, you know, yeah. generally, generally. Does that happen often? often? Generally, only my family yells at me. And today, the internet was yelling at me. So, so in trying to decipher the noise, I would say, yeah, it sounds like some bad decisions were made early in the morning. But again, that part's over my pay grade. I, all we can do as a media company and all you can do and all people can do is do, you know, understand what you own, understand what you're doing. Of course, there was great research. But Michael Burry, who who thought it was a great buy, was supposedly an incredible hedge fund manager, wrote it from four to ten, right? <laughs> at GameStop. So even he, the person who got the whole Reddit board supposedly started it 18 months ago, said this is insane. So again, pick your poison. Um, I'm sure great research was done, but there's a lot of sloppy behavior. And when it's your money, you know, people can walk into a Walmart store and buy bullets. I mean, I get it. Like, I want this country that like people to have choices and the markets to stay open and, and let people do things. So I get all that part. This is upsetting to someone like me. It stocks if you want to people yell all day as long as they follow certain well, rules. Real, real quickly, Howard, I mean, is this a tension that you think about these sort of open platforms, fantastic for education, fantastic for learning? I've learned so much from the people on Twitter, for example, who post about the markets throughout my uh, career, indispensable. But on the other hand, and we see it outside of markets as well, there's manias in group behavior and misinformation and people might call them mobs, figurative and literal, that get whipped up by social media. So as a platform, how do you think about the pluses and minuses of that? It's a great question, Joe, because you've been doing this a long time. This is all I think about um, is, 
is what's the responsibility, right? I don't think these hedge fund managers or Citadel or even Robinhood, maybe Robinhood closest to it because they're number one in the app store or TikTok because they see this traffic daily. But hedge funds had never seen anything like this. They had not seen or understood 20 million people new in the United States opening brokerage accounts focused on one little act, you know, one little ticker. There's 400 million more millennials in China coming on board. You know, the stock market is a complex yeah. thing. Right. And there's so many new players that decided to do one thing at the same time and push the same button. I guess we're lucky it was GameStop at many levels. Yeah. So, so, and it wasn't just sell the yeah. S&P. Um, and I think that's kind of what I'm trying to worry about with my money and with people that follow me. Right. I'm trying to decipher what that means because this is not going away, you know. What Robinhood did right or wrong, uh, I can't argue with. I feel terrible for people because I've been yeah. on the other side of bad trades. Right. Yeah. And I know how badly that feels. So when people are yelling at me, I understand why. But at the same time, the bigger issue is we need, this is a game. Roblox is going public. That's a game. The right. stock market right. is a bit of a game. Yeah. And there's so many more people playing and these flash mobs right. uh, are here to stay. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. And we finished up the week by talking about the underlying story here, the bullish case for GameStop as a company. We spoke with Rod Alsman, the proprietor of GMEDD.com, which collects the fundamental bullish argument for the stock about the frenzy that his long case has turned into. Well, Joe, uh, it's it sure felt like I was wrong for a long time. I'm sure, sure uh, a lot of people bailed along the way. Um, you, you know, I would say people need to think about GameStop. <sighs> A lot has changed since 2017. So the thesis that I had in 2017 has evolved over that time. And I think that's probably the most important takeaway for any investor in any security in any market. They need to keep their thesis fresh and they need to revise it as new information comes in. And a lot of new things came in with GameStop over the years. They had a strategic review in mid-2018. They had a new board refresh and CEO appointed in early uh, 2019. They endeavored on a new strategic plan in 2019, a GameStop reboot strategy to really rationalize their core business and double down on the core video gaming market. So you know, there were some mistakes by legacy leadership. I don't want to you know, talk about that too much, but the ship um, was righted and they got the right folks in place. And then a lot of new and interesting things happened over the course of 2020 along the way to bring us to this mm. craziness that we're in today. This craziness that we're in, I mean, now the thesis, does it make sense when it's worth $22 billion? Are you still long GameStop or did you wish it to get this far this fast? 
So <laughs> I I think we, Joe and Tracy and I talked about this uh, yesterday in the morning on Office that I don't think that you can rationally look forward at what we expect discounted cash flows would be from GameStop um, to to justify a price at this level. But that said, all market participants knew about the short interest. This was not something unknown. It had been around 100% for more than a year um, in terms of shares outstanding. So that kind of rock fuel that was embedded underlying the equity, underlying the transformation, underlying the entrance of a, an activist investor, RC Ventures, Ryan Cohen, the family, you know, it was just the confluence of that plus COVID, all of the right things fell into place. And uh, regrettably for the funds on the other side of the trade, they didn't, um, in my opinion, have the proper risk management in place. They didn't actually have a hedge for their short. Yeah, uh, certainly uh, did not. Rod, I, I do want to go back to that fundamental case. And obviously, timing plays a big part in everything. Uh, you were early uh, to this. Obviously, it's paid off for you. But when you looked at that company and you looked at, you know, the consecutive quarters of uh, declining revenue, right. uh, the EPS constraints, the margin constraints here, and then put that against the landscape of just, you know, retail was under pressure back then, still is. What was it about it? And this is, I mean, we're talking before Cohen came along and some of these other people came along. What was it about it that made you believe that there was a growth story there that no one else saw? Yeah. Yeah, I think fundamentally we need to look at what is at least their legacy business and think that it's very much at the whim of the video game console cycle. They predominantly are a seller of physical video game products. That would be the discs that you put into a PlayStation or Xbox or a Nintendo console. And therefore, it was long in the tooth, the console cycle. So in addition to those macro brick and mortar headwinds uh, that GameStop and other retail players were facing, GameStop was at the end of a long console cycle. It wasn't news to me, and I don't think it should have been news to any long investor over the course of 2018 and 19 that we saw negative comp sales for a long time. And it was really all about once validation of the physical media playing capabilities of the next gen consoles, the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 uh, became apparent in mid 2019. That was when I really became very aggressive in accumulating even more. And, and the price, obviously, it's hard to see on a chart right now. And let's see put the log function on but <laughs> back in back at that time it did get down below four dollars per share and um it just so happened that several investors roaring kitty uh, michael burry myself independent of one another all made the same um i guess decision to invest heavily at that point when we realized it was just going to be a waiting game so just explain though why physical retailing of video games why discs which don't really exist in any other form anymore, you know, people don't really buy, I guess probably people buy some DVDs maybe, but not really. Redbox is still around. Why does <laughs> it still exist as a thing uh, when so much is streaming and online? Yeah, Joe, I know we, we talked about it and I went into it in detail on Odd Lots, but it's, there's a lot of just the economics for the end consumer that people need to think about. So a video game is going to provide you with presumably many hours of entertainment value, but buying it new as a physical product at $60 and the next gen ones are going to come out uh, MSRP at 70. So that's a creative for earnings too. But there's a residual value inherently that's there on that video game. So if I want to sell it to a friend, sell it back to GameStop, trade it, 
if I want to just simply have that collectability piece, if I want to be able to gift a physical good to somebody during the holidays, um, those are some of the things that I think draw value still for the consumer. You know, the mix of physical to digital, people have been talking about for years that digital is, is growing and it's going to eventually take all of the share. And, you know, I, I would think about it more like, yes, physical will continue to be less of the broader market, but demand is still there. And it was evidenced in amid COVID when there were some supply chain issues, I think. Clearly, we've seen hardware shortages for some time, but on the software side, consumers were trying to buy physical media during COVID, and you actually saw on on reseller sites like eBay, Amazon, markups far in excess of MSRP huh. for the physical commodity. So clearly, it wasn't a function of demand not being there. It was a function of the supply not being there. And I think that type of you know due diligence, that, that looking very closely at things to understand where is, is the demand there? Or, you know, is it is it going away? I, I don't think it's going away. And if we look at PS5, Xbox Series X, the physical disc present hardware is selling at a much better rate than the digital only. So the PS5 is the cleanest example because it's it's simply a, a console yeah. with either a Blu-ray disc drive or, or no disc drive for $100 difference. Yeah. And from all my research, it's about a 75, 80% mix split for the physical um, player versus the digital. So clearly consumer demand is there. Obviously we're not, I'm not privy to what Sony's build plans are into the future, but that tells me that there's a longer runway than yeah. um, clearly the bet was that bankruptcy would right. be here by this cycle. And that bet proved um, wrong. You know, we've been talking in the last segment about the fundamental case, but that's probably, I would say like one third of the story. The other story is the extraordinary social media phenomenon, which of course has propelled this to new heights. Talk about how that catalyzed, because it's one thing to have a strong case. It's another thing, perhaps, to have a short squeeze. It's another thing to have to be a global mania of people all glomming onto this trade at once. How, in your view, did that come about? Yeah, Joe, I don't think it could have happened without COVID uh, for, for the sake of the underlying business as well as the sake of the community feature. So many of us and i say us loosely um individual investors retail investors had been in gamestop for years doing our own due diligence i'd been on stock twits for since 2018. Uh, i eventually came to know a lot of folks who were putting out some really great research on both stock twits seeking alpha across a variety of social media platforms i think the most salient one though is who we've all come to know as um, Roaring Kitty, DFV, uh, keeping it PG here on air. He, he, he was hosting a YouTube channel and eventually, you know, there was a couple dozen of us that found this to be a really great community gathering place where we could talk about our own thoughts and theses around GameStop, what we were seeing, our own work, sharing it, and just having open discussions, getting candid feedback, being willing to hear other people's thoughts. And we would be on this thing. He'd kick it off Monday, Wednesday, Friday night from seven o'clock at night. Some days we'd run until the morning hours to like one or 2 a.m. And it was just not always all GameStop, but the vast majority of it was GameStop. And it was just a, a loose group of investors trying to get better at understanding what we were seeing. We all were like, what are we missing? Why, why is this stock four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars when we think that it should be so much more and, and really picking apart all the different pieces of the puzzle. So it was just one of those things that if it weren't for COVID to put people in front of screens and uh, give us maybe some extra time to be digging into this, it might not have ever happened this way. Rod, 
I imagine the hours you've invested thinking, talking, mm. sharing stories about this particular business, you become pretty emotionally attached. How have you reacted to the fact that the business hasn't reacted? And are you looking for the business to make the most of the share price ramp up? Do you want to see them like sell stock? I want to see a, a plan. And we haven't heard for, to, to that point. We absolutely have not yet heard from the business since Ryan and his two compadres from Chewy were added to the board with that settlement. Now, that settlement to me was a absolute firecracker. It was not immediately heard by the market, but clearly in a few days, um, the market began to react through a lot of incremental long accumulation. We, we certainly didn't see covering leading to the price going from 15 and 20 on up into the 30s, 40s and, and beyond. Um, I would like to see a go forward plan. We saw Ryan's letter to the board in November from RC Ventures. We've seen what leader uh, what existing management was going to share at this icr technology conference that monday when the news dropped in pre-market so we don't really know what the strategy is we don't know what the settlement exactly entailed are they buying into ryan's strategy that he had laid out kind of the framework of it being a more digital first customer obsessed type business where we don't maybe need as many physical video game stores because we can hasten the rationalization of the store footprint. Right. We don't need to have the business um, abroad. So I would like to hear a plan. And I, I do think it's a little bit unnerving that management has been completely mum over the last two weeks. And that's it for What You Missed This Week. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can catch our show every weekday from 3.30 to 5 p.m. on Bloomberg TV and from 4 to 5 p.m. on Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.